Welcome to Solutions, where men come out of the shadows to testify, giving tips in manhood, honor the codes of integrity, and give out real solutions for soul survival. Today, we have on the show a universal soldier in communication, a veteran who understands the value of being a servant, a go-getter, an entrepreneur, a man who manifests his words and follows by action. He's an example of our community values, elevating people to be their best and brightest together. Ladies and gentlemen, the man whose passion is to uplift, motivate, and educate, Mr. Torin Ellis. And I absolutely appreciate you for having me here. I like the go-getter. I like the community focus. I like the humanity. I love all of how you have set the stage for you and I to have a robust conversation. So thank you again. Absolutely, brother. Are you ready to drop these gems today? We're going to give them whatever we got. We're going to give them whatever we got. Here we go. What person did you meet or see that gave you the drive towards the man you are today? Who or what defined you? I stand in this place because I had two parents that loved me. When I was born, my parents couldn't even swim in parts of the Atlantic Ocean. I had a mother who was an educator who worked two, three jobs to make sure that the family had the essentials of what it is that they needed. I had a father who I considered to be the first warrior that I ever saw in my life. Mm. And it is in that individual who said, Torn, I will never tell you that you have to be twice as good, but that you will have to work hard. Mediocrity is not an option. So when you asked me who that first example was, it was absolutely the king of my life, the warrior, my father. He was the person who said, I'm going to make sure I show you what it's like to be a man. And so I've been working ever since I was 10. You know, I used to wrap a clothesline and I don't know, Sheem, if you know what a clothesline looks like, but I used to wrap the clothesline around my stomach and I would run and tie the ends to the lawnmower get back on my 10 speed and I'd run through the streets of the city, you know, going to people's homes because my father would put up a message in the break room at the office that my son would cut your grass for $7. No matter where you are in the city, no matter how large your yard is, he was putting me out there for $7 and I enjoyed it. I loved it. So he's the guy who he's the person, he's the model who set the stage for who you see today. Absolutely. While you were out there running towards your goals to make financial literacy a, a thing for you to start that process, tell me what your thought process was. I know you said you loved it, but what made you really get up? Because as a child, you like money, but there's other intangibles that we need to not forget about that childlike feeling when you have a passion. Yeah, I didn't have any other ones. That was, it was about making money. Mm. You know, I, no fronting on you. I was, it was really about making money. I worked, you know, again, since I was 10. So we cut grass, we shoveled snow. I grew up in Davenport, Iowa. So I shoveled snow, you know, I, I worked at Baskin Robbins and Godfather's Pizza when I was in high school. I had a paper route when I was in high school. I mean, I got it in when I was moving through high school and for only one reason, I wanted to make money. My parents were like, look, I'm gonna buy you some Chuck Taylors. I'm gonna buy you some I don't even know what they were, whatever kind of jeans these were. I didn't get my first pair of Levi's jeans until I was in ninth, 10th grade. But but I got the things that I wanted all through junior high school and high school because I had my own dough. And so I've always been that person who's like, yo, I'm gonna go get my own money. I've been an entrepreneur now for 23 years. I left 
corporate America at 30. I'm 52 right now. So I've been signing my own checks for the last 23 years and I wouldn't have it any other way. Now that doesn't mean that I signed the checks absent of the support of other people, of teams, because it, 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 you gotta, if you got a contract, then that means you gotta support that business. You gotta be able to deliver on what it is that they are asking for. So essentially you're an employee. You may be external, you may be able to set your own schedule, but essentially I'm, I'm an employee of whoever it is that I'm engaged with as a client. I'm a business partner, if you will, whatever. Put the title on it, you can do whatever you want, but you gotta put that work in. And so that ethic for me of, this is beautiful. You deliver, people enjoy what it is that you provide and they pay you, that's all I needed. Because then as a child, I was able to get the things that I want, or as a teen, I was able to get the things that I wanted. I love that. Absolutely. If you can give me one gem from your father and one gem from your mother that holds true for you, what would it be? I, well, I already told you my father's, you know, and I'll repeat that again, because we have a lot of black and brown children that are running around in homes where their parents are telling them that they have to be twice as good. And we have an, an, an abundance of black and brown adults that have been in the workplace that will still utter that, that they have to be twice as good. I am never telling anyone that I have to be twice as good, but I'm not going to be mediocre. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? So Absolutely. as it relates to my father, that's what he said. My mom, well, she just simply reminded me of how much she loved me. She reminded me even in discipline, how much she loved me. She reminds me even in affirmation today, how much she loves me. She keeps me grounded spiritually. Right now, my father died on Father's Day 11 years ago. My mother still reminds me how much she loves me and how proud she is of the things that I'm doing. I took her with me uh, in July of 2019. I had to speak in London. She'd never seen me speak before. She's seen videos, but she'd never been in presence of me speaking about DNI. And I'm gonna tell you, she was so amazed. We're in London, it's 3,000 people. It's like a Coachella for human resources. So it's an outside event, 3,000 people, probably 150, 200 of us from the US. I didn't know all of them. I may have known 10, but the 10 people I knew, treated her like a king, a queen. They made sure she was seated at the front row. They made sure my mom had uh, water. They made sure that she was close to the fan that was heating up, uh, uh, cooling off the tent. They did everything they could to take care of my mom while I was on stage preparing to deliver my 40 minute keynote. I appreciated that. I appreciated that I built that type of camaraderie and reputation in the diversity and inclusion space where people respect me enough that that influence carries over to my family and that they are willing to support my family. So wherever I go, I'm always in good, good hands. Like people really care about who I am, but that's not a bragging thing. That's because my parents took care of me and they said, look, you, you, you show up, you, you don't have to be a shrinking violet, but you got to understand how to operate with a bit of humility. And that's what I do.
Talk to me about full circle. And what I mean by that is there are moments when people don't understand when they say the sins of the father, the sins of the son, but also in on the flip side is the gratitude and the appreciation of the parent and the gratitude and appreciation of the son. It went from your parents being people of respect to people respecting you because of them. And then it went from people respecting your parents because of you. But a lot of people do not continue that circle of, of integrity, respect, honesty, loyalty to the family. Talk to me how important that is for someone listening today who's trying to get that right. I, I, I don't know if I necessarily have the formula, but what I can tell you is that I'm Pour, I'm, I'm pushing down and pouring into my four children everything that was poured into me. I have two daughters. I have two sons. And so once again, I don't make excuses for any of my children. I tell my kings, you will work hard. I've reinforced for them what's important to, to me that I think is going to be important to you. I've challenged my daughters. I understand that you are going to school for this or that you graduated in this regard, but did you include a technical component to that? Did you consider another language in that? What are you doing to make sure that you have an edge when you are showing up in your respective profession? Teaching them that they have to operate with love. And I tell them all the time, Sheen, you know, and I tell people this, two of the most powerful words in our lexicon are love and process. If I love you, then you're not really questioning how it is that I'm delivering the intensity in which I talk. If I tap you on the shoulder, you know that that's probably out of love because you feel like you I love you. If you don't know that I love you, no matter what it is that I do, no matter what it is that I say, no matter how I move, how I operate, you're questioning, you got to process, is Torin doing this for my best interest? Is he really looking out for me? Does he absolutely care about my family? Is he really telling me the truth? Is this really an opportunity that I should pursue professionally? Am I setting myself up to win four years from now, five years from now? You got to process that. So I tell people all the time, two of the most powerful words in our lexicon are love and process. And that's what I give to my children every single day. Absolutely. I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Do you have a vision board? Not at all. Talk to me about goal setting. What is one of your apex goals that you achieve and one, one goal that you're currently chasing? A goal that I have achieved. I'd say um, in 2014, I did a film project or maybe it was 2015. I did a film project and I said in that film project that I wanted to have one of the biggest global voices in diversity and inclusion. I think I've done that. Um, so that would probably be one that I've achieved professionally. I would say one that I want to achieve um, and still chasing is I want to be in a position to be philanthropic, bigger than I am right now. So right now, and I don't like to talk about it uh, because it's just something that I do, but I make sure that no matter where I show up, if I'm behind a microphone and I'm being compensated, I make sure to give back to an organization founded by a black woman. It's Orally Cancer Research Foundation down in Atlanta, Georgia. Every single time I speak, 
a donation goes to Orally Cancer Research Foundation. I want to be able to multiply that philanthropy, that philanthropic effort in a way that is far beyond even what I think I want to do. I don't even know what I, well, let me just say it like this. I know what I'd like to, to see happen through the work that I'm doing. I want to make sure that we open up doors for young black kings and queens and that we make space in corporate America for people with disabilities and that folks that are transgender and on that LGBTQ spectrum can show up in the workplace and be the person that they are and contribute and innovate and and all and, and not not fear being their whole self as we so casually say in in our dialogue but philanthropically it's going to take a whole lot for me to get there case in point i just read uh that jeff bezos has given away 1.6 billion dollars in like the last decade maybe 15 years something like that 1.6 billion and that his ex-wife has given away six billion just last year. I wanna be McKinsey. I don't wanna be Jeff Bezos. I wanna be in a position to give away a lot. I don't wanna hold it. I wanna be in a position to give away a lot. So that's the goal that I'm chasing. Absolutely. And on the road of your goal chasing, you spoke about the lexicon and the two words that are most important. But what type of affirmations are you telling yourself to keep your frame of mind going while you're on this journey? Bad will be the day for any man when they become absolutely contented with the thoughts that they are thinking, mm. with the deeds that they are doing, mm. with the life that they are living, when forever beating at their soul is some great desire to do something more, to be more, to give more, to live more, because after all, they are a child of the Most High God. That is what I tell myself. Absolutely. I love that, brother. I love that how smooth it came out. That means it's forever been practiced and it's forever embedded in your heart for your soul to be aligned with the codex of your mind. And I like that a lot. Along the affirmations, along the road, along the hard work since you were a young boy, tell me along this journey to better yourself within love, within the process, to grow your mind, to be who you are. What did you sacrifice? A lot. You know, um, I, I walked away from corporate America after five years. Even before that, I dealt with being uh, separated from the military involuntarily. I got out six, eight months early. It wasn't by choice. It was because I had a negative attitude in their eyes. In my eyes, I wasn't putting up in no shit. That's just what it was. You understand what I'm saying? So. I just knew what I was going to put up with and not put up with. Well, we parted ways, general under honorable conditions. Cool. I get all of my benefits. I just wasn't allowed to go back and re-enlist in any of the military services. Not an issue for me. Uh, I didn't join the military for discipline. I joined the military because once again, I wanted that tradition of working and being able to travel. So I got out of the military, finally got a job in corporate America. It took a little bit of time dealt with the pop policy and the corporate mores. And I ain't really like that situation. I just didn't like how it was unfolded. I didn't like how I was being respected or not respected. I didn't like how I was being recognized or not being recognized. There were so many things about corporate America that just didn't sit well with me. 
Uh, and so I started my own company. And so when we talk about sacrifice, come on, man, we talked about a dude, I built a million dollar company in, in less than two years and then lost it all. Bankruptcy. So that's a sacrifice. When you got to look at your family and you got to tell them, I don't really have enough money for the light bill. That's sacrifice. But I didn't quit and go back to corporate America. I stayed and grind and kept pushing and believing in myself. I had a supportive family that said, Torrin, you are better out here doing this than you are inside of corporate America. So I had a family. I had a, a, a five minute conversation with a white woman in 2011 that cost me a seven figure contract because she threatened to sue my client with an EEOC complaint because I'm looking for a diverse candidate. She's a white woman. She calls my client and says, I could do the job that you have open, but your recruiter said he wanted someone who was diverse. And because I'm not diverse, I'm gonna sue you all for EEOC. I'm gonna file a complaint against you for uh, discrimination. They severed ties with me, seven figure contract. I've lost a lot, but not once have I wavered on the belief in who I am and what it is that I'm able to accomplish. So yeah, every time I get knocked down, I come back even stronger, come back even harder. I, I agree with you, come back even stronger and harder. But I wanna know when you're in these low moments, right? I wanna know what's one of some of the recipes you use to get back up. I know you allowed your family to pour into you, which is also a recipe, letting people pour into you, allowing people to heal you, right? Because sometimes we close off to the world. What is another recipe, another form for those who might be listening today, something you do to help you get up to move forward? Man, let me tell you something. Sheem, there wasn't enough love, liquor or lust to pull me out of that functional depression that I was in. So yeah, I can talk about it, but there wasn't anything that could pull me out. It was everything that pulled me out. It wasn't praying. It wasn't having my mom and her affirmations. It wasn't only the family that was supportive. I'm functionally depressed, functionally depressed. So yeah, I'm going through the motion. I'm picking up the keyboard and I'm making the phone calls and doing the research for the clients. And I'm trying to, yeah, I'm doing all those things, but I'm just going through the routine, son. I had to, I had to get to that point where, you know, it just, it just reclicked. And so I can, the only thing that I can say to you is the only thing that saved me and kept me was that I just didn't stop. I didn't stop. I didn't prescribe or I didn't look for a prescription through any one mechanism, through any one outlet, through any one vice, through any one contact, through any one higher calling. I'm just real like that. I didn't look for it in any one place. I just looked to say, yo, you just got to keep going. I got another saying. It says life is like wrestling the gorilla. You don't quit when you get tired. You quit when the gorilla gets tired. And I was determined to keep wrestling the gorilla. So if that means that I got to crouch down in a corner for like 15 seconds so I can catch my breath and then I can run through the ring because, you know, the gorilla is the gorilla's rough. Yeah. yeah. But you got to keep fighting. 
And that's what I know is I got to keep fighting. So for people out there that are looking at this, whatever it is that you are going through in this time of a pandemic, you may be faced with loss of uh, income, loss of your job. You may be experiencing a loss of family or family members. You may be on hesitation as it relates to uh, pursuing some of the goal and vision that you might have on that vision board that you asked me about. You might be an individual who is struggling with creating and curating a relationship. You may have this incredible idea that you want to get off the ground. And for some reason, no matter what, you can't release the tether. Like you can't take that flight that you're looking for. You might be the person who has given everything that you got to other people. Like you poured everything into them. And you don't feel like anybody's pouring back into you. You got to get going. You have to keep going. Because what's the alternative? What's what you you want to languish? You, you need somebody to pat you on the ass and tell you it's gonna be all right. I don't want the alternative. I'm always going to fight to see if we can make it better. I love what you're saying because listening to all the questions I asked you previously, it all adds up to who you are. Since you were young, you was moving, doing what you had to do, staying in the fight. And even when adversity came and took away the one thing that encouraged you to start working in the first place, which was unfortunately the money, you learned to yourself that wasn't even the point. The point is you got to keep up the fight and keep moving. So at some point you shedded some skin and became even bigger and better as a man because you had to release what you were doing for in the first place and still keep going and then do it for the totality of your self growth. I love it, brother. That is amazing. Yeah, and I and and I let me tell you, Sheem, I feel like I got thirty more years in me, man. I said I'm fifty two. I feel like I got thirty more years. This is a golf game for me. Like, I feel like this ain't nothing but a golf game for me. I'm just easy swinging right now, babe boy. I'm just easy swinging. You understand what I'm saying? And yeah, I I I, I, I hit a couple of bogeys. I think that's a golf term. Yeah. Uh, I, a couple <laughs> of my joints is in the sand trap. I get it. You know, I didn't have some mistakes. Let me tell you, you know, I, I've had to apologize. I stood in a room in Detroit, Michigan, September of 2019. I'll never forget it. I stood in a room in Detroit, Michigan. I know this is your thing, but I want to ask you a question. Have you ever heard the phrase of, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Actually, you've heard it. So so I'm in the room in Detroit. I'm just recounting this real quick. It's and okay. and I, I asked the people in the room, um, I said, have you ever heard the phrase that you have to be twice as good? And so, you know, many of the white folks, some had, some had not, whatever. So then the black folks in the room, they like this. Yep. Well, I've already told you how I feel about that, but I was, I was going someplace. There was a young brother in the front. Couldn't have been more than 24, 25. And I said, you never heard the phrase because he didn't raise his hand. But see, I'm looking at his face and I'm, I, I can tell, you know, he he probably like the, you know, he, he, yeah, that's it. He's that dude. He's that guy. So I'm like, okay, well, I said, you've never heard that phrase. He was like, nah. I said, you ain't never heard that phrase. He was like, nah. You know, face all messed up. Now, I said, you ain't black. And so the room laughed. Oh, he was upset. He was offended. He was offended. Yeah, that was, that's pretty tough. That's pretty rough. I meant it in a jovial, light way, because I thought in that moment I could bring him in and break down that wall that he was putting up 
for this king, one king to another, I thought in that moment that would do it, but it was a misstep. Shut him down for the rest of the presentation. He complained to HR. He complained to his legal team. And we ain't talking about no small organization. Yeah. He complained. They wanted their money back, everything. Now, of course, I was like, uh, you ain't getting your money back. Because you already did your survey. Mm-hmm. And the whole room was on 10. They were on full tilt the entire time. Your recruiting team loves me, wants me to come back. So we already know that we rock with value. But the point is, I understand how the young brother feels. Yes. So I'm going to make a donation to a nonprofit of his choice. I want him to know. I'm going to give a public apology to him and to the broader audience. So those are the things that I'm going to do because it wasn't my intention. It was the impact that those three words, you ain't black, had on him in that moment. So trust me, this work doesn't come without making missteps and you know falling on your knee or your face and scraping. I make some mistakes, but I'm gonna keep going. Shame, I'm always gonna keep going. Absolutely. How important is it to leave where you're from to develop yourself to where you're going? I mean, I think it's incredibly important. You know, I'm always reading. You know, I don't know the statistic anymore, but when I used to speak in high schools around Baltimore uh, in the 2000s, there was a statistic that said that the average adult does not read more than four books after high school. Four. So I make it a point to try to read a book a month, sometimes two. That's my learning. I make it a point to try to meet new people that are absolutely foreign to me, have nothing to do with diversity and inclusion, but they can deposit something from their vantage point, their business acumen, their ability to connect, their overcoming adversity. So I make it a point to try to get proximate with people who can continue to enrich me through their experiences because all of that helps me figure out, you know, listen, you you ain't got this whole thing figured out. Mm-hmm. You, you, ain't, you don't have it all figured out. So there are a number of touch points that you should be tapping into if you want to continue to evolve and be a better man in the work that you are doing, in the family that you are growing, and in the children that you are trying to support. Absolutely, man. I appreciate that comment you made. And I just want people to understand sometimes you got to travel outside your diaspora to get a larger circumference of what you're doing, a larger train of thought. And it adds different things to you, adds value to you for you to be more of a creative or a duplicator, whatever frame of mind you come from. I have this question here that I just recently added. You're going to be the ninth man I asked this question. Now, I would like you to do two things for me in this question. I want you to tell me if it's too intrusive that I should take it away and it should no longer exist in the interview. I'm gonna do, uh, I'll probably stop at 10 men, but right now I'm at number nine. This question seems to me a little bit intrusive. If you don't want to answer it, you do not have to. Are you ready for the question? Let's go. What was abusive to you that you thought was love How did you recognize it and how long did it take for you to accept it? What was abusive to me that I thought was love? How did I recognize it? And what did it take for me to accept it? What was abusive to me 
that I thought was love. Me. I was abusive to myself, man. When I was running through my 20s, it wasn't nobody that I wasn't knocking off. So I probably thought that my sexual encounters were love, were like, I'll use the word like, love, whatever. I enjoyed them. I enjoyed doing them. I enjoyed my days in the military, in the Philippines, going to various countries, just having a good time with women. So we're talking from 18 up until, you know, I come on, man. Um, so I had to learn at some point, nah, that, that ain't it. So I recognized it on my own. I recognized that. And that's why part of what I said in the beginning, there was not enough, enough love, liquor, or lust that could pull me through that functional depression. Because when I was depressed and losing that seven-figure deal, you know, you sit back and you say to yourself, man, please, I can just go out here and do some of the things I used to do. You know, I can, I can, I used to steal cars when I was, was growing up at some point. And I ain't still in the way that you're thinking about. See, I've always been smart. I used to steal credit cards when I was growing up. I ain't still in the way that you're thinking about. I've been smart all my life. So I may not have a college degree or has set through four, eight years of school. But trust me, Torn was always able to get the things that he wanted. Whether I purchased them or stole them, but I got what I wanted. So I had to recognize when I was loot or when I lost that seven figure deal, I can't resort to who I used to be because there's nothing good in that lifestyle. There's nothing waiting for me that is going to be good for the family in that lifestyle. So part of that coming out of the depression and pulling from various places, like I said, that was by design because I knew had I not pulled and tried to stay positive again, and if I would have just said, yo, let me just go do it the easy route. I don't think I'd be sitting here right now because at some point your luck runs out. And so I never went to jail for stealing cars. I never went to jail for stealing credit cards. I went to jail because I told a police officer, you ain't gonna put your hands on me. And I hit him. That's why I went to jail. So I knew that I'm not, I couldn't rely on intimacy the way that I thought that I was relying on it. So I would probably say that's the one thing that was a very big revelation for me in my in my 20s. That is a hard change to make mentally and physically because you feel like a pull, right? It's, an, it's sort of like a, a, it's like coming up, not eating sugars anymore. At some point you're gonna start to feel your body change and you're gonna want the nearest piece of sugar around you, metaphorically speaking, right? 
I mean, I applaud you for making that change. And most of us are still trying to get there to that point where we deny our old selves and accept the new updated version, right? Some people don't want to hit the update button on their phone because you're scared yeah. it might break. But sometimes yeah. you got to hit the update button and just roll with life. Yeah. Talk to me about fatherhood and mentorship. But I don't want to talk about the great things about fatherhood and all the great things you passed on. I want to talk about the moments where you love your kids, but I don't like you right now. Talk to me about the patience you need to have as a father to, in order to have order in your life. Yeah, uh, I would say, um, you know, the, 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 the previous question was intrusive on me. Mm-hmm. My response on this question would be more intrusive on what I call my troops. I refer to my kings and queens as my troops when I'm talking about them collectively. So I don't want to be intrusive on them. But what I will tell you is that, you know, the times in which they were the biggest disappointment, uh, you know, one of which gave advice to another, which was terrible advice. And I'm like, why, do, why would you say that? Uh, another was um, stealing from their grandparent. And when I say stealing, used the credit card on one of the Internet sites to purchase some games or something. Uh, another one was involved in um, an incident in school, you know, where they crossed the boundary of, of touching, if you will. Um, and so that that crossing of boundary had a ripple effect. Uh, so those are the times I've, I've given you three examples. I said I got four children. Uh, oh, OK, I got you. I got another one. Uh, and then another one you know, went online and, you know, completed some information that could be compromising. You know, I don't do, I don't post much about my family online because of my persona and not persona, but you know, my awareness. And so you got crazy folks out here. Yeah. And so, you know, I was like, uh, uh, we don't do that. You don't, you don't give up coordinates in that particular way. So, um, I would say that, you know, parenting is that's that's a part of parenting, though. You know, you 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 will be disappointed in your eight, eight, nine times out of 10 as a parent. You will find a moment or two or three where your children disappoint you. That's a part of of parenting. And there's no real manual for that. But what I will tell you is that I have. Only once in my life had to like use corporal punishment. And when I say corporal punishment, pop, pop, pop on a child three times. And on another one, one pop, that's it. Four children, four pops. Most of the time, my vocal is going to be enough. My looking at you is going to be enough. My putting you under punishment is going to be enough. My unplugging one of them game systems is going to be enough. I have great children, smart children, humble, personable children. And I recognize that. So when I get angry, disappointed, I always refer to the equilibrium of that. I have great children. And that keeps me grounded. Absolutely, brother. I thank you for giving the the balanced answer because 
a lot of people out here living in their emotions when they speak to their kids as if there is not a growing factor within those children, as if they wouldn't know. Sometimes me growing up, we had uh, friends and family, they find a, a credit card on the floor and they think it's just gold, right? Because you, you honestly don't know where it comes from. Like sometimes there's an ignorance there, right? There were incidents with me growing up where some, there was just ignorance there. And then later on you learn, oh, this is completely wrong. But as a child, as an adult, you have to make that reverence and understand that patience. Even if you do not agree, don't understand how they got there, there is a patience that all men need to have with their children and a conversation will, can build, will build the communication for you in that household. That is the example I was looking for. Thank you for uh, giving us that topic today. Now, I wanna to touch on another subject that I think is not talked about enough abroad as in, in a totality with our community and the surrounding communities. I have a question for you that I like asking and I like hearing about. It's a little intrusive, but it's fun. You really don't have to answer it, but I really wanna talk about the aura of it. Did you ever get a sex talk? Who or what gave you sex education? I never got a, I don't believe getting a sex talk. I think, you know, my education came through um, experience, you know, uh, it was really the curiosity. And at some point everyone gets curious. Right. And so, you know, I got curious and I said, I, I think that, you know, I'm supposed to be with a woman and that's exactly what I was with, you know? So, uh, I don't recall it, it could have happened in my life, but I don't recall my mother or father sitting me down. I don't recall one of my aunts or uncles sitting me down. You know, I, I recall, I just don't recall it. You know, um, <laughs> let, let me ask you this. The reason yeah. I ask this question, because I think we run from it as a culture. I think we can do a lot more damage control when it comes to the government getting involved in our relationships from our mishaps and mistakes. Cause we're out there just enjoying something without any rules of how letting us be prepared to let us know how much we're going to enjoy it. But there are pitfalls and some great illustrations about it that you need to know. The basics, you know, the basics is wear a condom, jump over the porch. You get all these little small terminologies from your family, but there are deeper determining factors is just as good as you're destroying your credit, right? Cause you're out there, you're now paying getting your license taken away, getting your passport taken away because you made the decision to lay down with a woman that you probably didn't really love. But if you had more conscious effort and talk about it, if it wasn't so taboo, maybe those mistakes wouldn't happen. Do you agree or disagree that we can actually build a, another order of protection for a man to stop and think a little bit more before he proceeds? Well, I mean, again, I guess uh, you're right. But if I'm honest and transparent, I haven't had a sex talk with my kings. Why do so, you think, why do you think you haven't had it? Is it something that you just ah they'll figure it out and I'll do damage control, or do you feel like mm, I don't even want to go there? I don't I don't even know I I don't have a response for you. Like it's just not even something that I thought about. But but I said I was I was descriptive and said my kings. Mm -hmm. I should have said, I've never had a sex talk with any of my children. So my daughters or my sons. And, and I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because of how I was introduced to it and at the age in which I was introduced. And if the conditions that they're living in are different, 
Um, I just don't, and I, I didn't grow up in bad conditions. So that I'm not trying to paint that sort of a picture. Just things were different. You know, my parents' work schedules were different. Their comings and goings in the house were different. So I was able to manipulate time to my advantage to do whatever it is that I wanted to do. Yeah, more on schedule back in the day. Yeah, my children don't have that. I work from home, have always worked from home, they home. I've taken them to school, you know, all of their life. They've never gotten on a bus. I take them, pick them up. We don't have that now because of COVID. So their opportunity to be able to move in ways that I was able to move, they ain't got that. Uh, so I don't know if I haven't had it because of conditions, because of avoiding it, but you make me think about that. I, I would say to you that I believe that we would be better as a people if we did not make some of the mistakes around starting families as we may do. I, I would I will say that. Yeah, I, I think I think sex is fun. I think it's great. I think sometimes people need to go through whatever phase they need to go through. But I also feel there's another level of responsibility that you can actually give thought to just to prepare you for where you're going, to understand where you're at, right? That's all I want people to understand, where this could go. And it might give you a pause, or you might just proceed in the primal effect in you. You never know. It depends on who you are, right? It's subjective. But I just yeah. want to have the conversation to the point where the communication on both sides, it's like, okay. And, and, and then I feel we'll lower the numbers of us funding the government as much as we do in our community. That's my yeah. overall thing. We yeah, fund the yeah. government a lot from our our personal encounters. It happens. No, you're absolutely right. And I guess when you say that, Sheen, when you say funding the government, are you saying like child support issues? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, got it. When you said passports and license, I, I wanted to make sure I knew where you were going with that. Passport. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, it, it, it slows for the, since this is a man's show, I'm not taking away from the women. I'm not even here to discuss the women's part, but for the man, there are traps out there for you that are laid for you that you need to understand. And sex is one of those things that can lead to a long-term documentation of your finances. So, so let me, let me, let, let me challenge you for a second, because yes, I don't please. know who your listeners are, please, uh, or please. I don't know who your listeners and viewers are, but the assumption is that most of them are of a certain age, 30 and above 35 and above. So are you telling me that you feel like this exchange right here is prevalent in that 30, 35 and above age? Or are you telling me you're capturing this content because you're hoping that your viewer listener will share it with their sons, their uh, nephews, Answer that for me because I'm very curious. I, 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 am, I am telling you that because all the, all the questions that I ask that are not intrusive, that are just a, an abundance question, full circle, I just want you to think about it. And you will determine whether you need to activate that part of your brain. But now that isn't aware to you. It's like the internet, right? The internet has everything. But if you don't think to type it in the search engine to look for it, then you'll never know about it, right? So I just want to bring it to light where whatever adaptation or piece you take from this conversation, I know people won't take it as a whole, but if they get a piece of it, 
they might start to question what is best for them subjectively in their lives and their situations to where now the conversation is at least started in any age group, right? Okay. From grandparents to talk to their kids about talking to their grandkids. It just can be anything from the conversation just being started. I'm not trying to control the situation, but it is a situation where I feel in the long, at the end apex of what I'm talking about, there's a lot of men suffering in the dark from decisions they made in the dark. Yeah. And I feel we can't change all of that, but we can start talking about it and being there for each other because there's so many people who have restrictions on them for something they did they thought was fun. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I just want to talk about it. And maybe, maybe you would say, look to your brother on the right or left and you say, hey man, you all right? Yeah. What are you doing today? You sure you should still be messing with that? Do you see what type of person that is? They might end up doing this. And now it changes the narrative where a person's life could be headed. I got you. Life they're bringing up with them. I got you. I got you. Should there be a basic training program amongst men? A level of education given in the community outside of the school system, outside of the church, outside of the Boys and Girls Club, outside of the in the community where we teach financial literacy, communication, how to change a tire, how to change a tie, gardening, general wealth building like stocks and real estate, speaking with the elderly with intent. Do you think we can ever have anything like that formulated in our communities where we reach one, teach one from each other? You being the man that you are, the specialties that you have, if we lived in the same neighborhood, you would then as the as the man of my household or the, or the parent of the household, give me tips of what you're doing. And then we have a conversation flowing through the neighborhood where we have on maybe during the week, we have flea markets with our kids selling products and teaching financial literacy. We're doing stuff together and making it fun for the kids to say, hey, stocks are cool. Hey, working hard is cool. Well, we develop this characteristic in them where we can, because real people that work hard rarely watch television, but we allow our kids to watch much entertainment and television want. But like you, your father did, he sent you out on a mission early to understand that this is how the world works. So, I mean, I know people can do it individual households, but do you think communities could ever get together and do that? Yeah, well, I'm going to go back to my father, but he didn't take television away from me. And I'm not so, saying take it away. He just gave you so something. What, but, what but what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is when you use that example, you, you say he taught me this and, you know, whatever, but I'm stressing he did not take te- television away from me. Right. And so mm-hmm. even you're, you're right, you know, many successful people or hardworking people don't have time for what we would consider to be shenanigans. It could be television. It could be social media. It could be whatever. Right. I, I try to find time to, now I don't watch a lot of television. I don't. But to the question that you asked around this basic protocol, basic training, it does exist. Like there are mentorship programs in almost every Alpha, Bravo, and Charlie city in the country. You know, you might not find it in, you know, some of the very smaller cities, but I I mean, I can't imagine any large city, one of the three, where you don't have, forget the cities. I think the, the fact that we know how to navigate life. Like we may not be the best around stocks and bonds, but we know that we have to do some saving. We may not be the best around, uh, you know, professional or business acumen, 
but we know we got to get up and take our ass to work. We may not be the best at showing love to our children, but we understand the, the power of a hug, the power of just simply saying, I love you. We may be reticent in doing it, but we know these things. So I don't think that we need to have a book. I don't think that we need to have some prescriptive open up to page 13 and this is what we need to do as a community. No, I think we need, listen, this stuff ain't hard. Like it's right or wrong. It ain't hard for us to figure out as black men, these are some of the basic things that we need to do to make sure that we take care of our families, to make sure that we keep our families together, to make sure that our boys are not out doing things that are going to, as you said a moment ago, derail them from some of the vision and success in life. These things are not all that hard. I, I think learning science is harder than just simply saying, I'm gonna be a better person. Learning mathematics and linear equations and all the, that stuff is harder than, yo, I'm just gonna be, a, I'm gonna be a pretty good dude. Absolutely. Like I have to often ask my mom, I, I you know, and, and my, my family is very spiritual. And so I say, well, what do you say to the person who's uh, blind and deaf as it relates to religion? and salvation and the 10 commandments and it's a different learning for them but they can still be saved they can still have some relationship with a higher power with the most high god with you know yashua who however they refer to so i don't think that we really need a prescription to be better men just to think that that thing comes naturally Okay, cool. It's another topic I want people to think about and, and move forward in. Now, real quick, this is a pause on the interview. You have six minutes left to the hour. Do you have more time than that? Do I need to go ahead and get ready to close it out? Let's push it down. Because I have a call at uh, 115. Okay, great. All right. Well, I'm gonna give you like least about 10 more minutes. Is that cool? It's cool. All right, here we go. Now, we talk about leaving a legacy, but we mostly ignore major steps. Do you have a will? Yep. Two of them. <laughs> I got two. The first person said he got two. Excuse me. So talk to me about why do you think the conversation of having a will within our culture is a mm, taboo thing? Because we ain't got shit to give. Is that it? We, what about what about insurance and listen, trust? Listen, no, you you listen. I mean, that's just real talk. We not. I'm not being negative. I'm no, saying when you look at the average black family, their wealth is insignificant. They ain't have. They don't have shit. They got a car. They got some expensive bags in the closet. So who's sitting around with an attorney thinking about how we gonna divvy up some bags, some shoes? You, you think you think we're kind of changing a little bit? We're starting to get our financial literacy together so those conversations will be something in the future. Yeah, I mean, I do feel like we are. And, and that's not, you know, that's not 
everybody because there certainly are a lot of there are a number of people that that do have something but i'm looking at the larger number the larger number does not have i remember vividly december 2018 boston globe had a series front page uh, 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 of the seven part series it said is Boston racist that was the first installment of that. a seven part series that is Boston racist in that first segment it talked about the average wealth of a black family in Boston eight dollars mm. what what do you need a will for mm. you can look at numbers now New York Times did a post you know, a couple of years ago, it said it's going to take us 234 years to close the wealth gap. 234 years. Let me say you this. Can look at, you can look at conversations that say that the average white family's wealth is $170,000. The average black family's wealth is $17,000. Friend to the show, Cameron. Friend to the show, Cameron Wesley said, we should look at death as an investment. He said his cultural counterparts... They divvy up the money among siblings if you so have siblings. And they take out insurance policies on their parents and grandparents. So when they transition, there's some wealth generated into the family as well as paying for funerals and things of that nature. Do you think that's something that we need to adapt in our culture since other cultural counterparts look at it as an investment? Absolutely. Absolutely. When my father died, he had just paid an insurance policy. I want to say like 20 something days before he died. So when we found the policy and reached out to the company, they were like, uh, we, we can give you back the premium he just paid. The premium, that one premium payment, that was it. He didn't have insurance on himself, nothing to pass on, on to us, nothing. And I'm not angry at him for that, but he had nothing to pass on to us. Yeah. Just, I have insurance on everybody in my family to include my grandchildren because I want to make sure that we put the ones in position. I don't want to benefit from it. Although I have benefited from having it, I want them to be able to benefit and then them to benefit and then, then them to benefit. That's what I want to see happen. So yes, we should have insurance on our ourselves on our uh children yes absolutely we got to change this conversation and i get it uh, inequity in terms of compensation in the workplace lack of promotion and extension inside of the workplace now you back in my sandbox why does torn do diversity and inclusion equity and belonging consulting because i want to even the playing field I know that if I put Sheem up against his um, counterparts, many times Sheem is going to win. You just got to give that brother a chance. I know that if I put young ladies, give them a shot. Pay them the same thing that you're paying their white colleague, colleagues and counterparts. Right. Put them on equal footing so that they can make investment decisions. Right. So yeah, I absolutely feel like we should be in a position to make some different decisions, but I also understand some of the constraints that are present that prevent making those decisions. It's a sacrifice. So I get it. I'm not, again, I'm not being negative when I say we ain't got shit to give. We ain't got shit to give.
Absolutely. I, I agree with that. I hear you. As a husband, now I got two questions for you that I'd like you to answer very tight so we can get everything to go within our time frame here. As a husband, this is subjugated towards you, and I'd just like you to answer the question and, and give your answer why, and we're going to move on as quick as possible. What do you as mean by that? As a husband, would you rather have a great woman or a great wife? It's one and the same to me, and I got both. Hey, that's the answer, then hey, that's your answer. I have nothing to say about that. I appreciate it. I came up with something called operating at 100%. And what I mean by that is I took five categories, purpose, health, confidence, money, and knowledge. Again, I repeat, purpose, health, confidence, money, and knowledge. I gave them 20% each, write them down every day. I give myself an average within those five topics. And I give myself a sum at the average at the end of the week to see how much of 100% I've been operating out of. Again, it's purpose, health, confidence, money, and knowledge. Purpose meaning you're working your purpose every day, doing what you need to do and putting in your work. Health means you're eating right, mentor, mentoring, working out, meditating, exercising. Confidence, you're doing without any fear, any intimidation. Money, you made little money, saved little money, invested little money, gave to a charity. Knowledge is that you're taking in some new information and grew from it. So I ask you, Mr. Ellis, within the last 24 hours, how much of 100% have you been operating out of? 100%. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't understand what's hard about it. I show up every, um, I'm sorry, I caught myself. I show up every day. So I'm operating at 100%. And if, even if I'm not showing up, if I start my day at 12 p.m., because that's what I want to do, like if I want to get up in the morning and absolutely not do anything, like a couple of days ago, I got up, did one phone call with some folks in London, took a shower, went to the gun range for two and a half hours. That's what I wanted to do. I'm at 100%. Absolutely. So I show up at 100% almost every single day when, when I rock and roll. I just love your confidence. I love the facial expression you give when you answer. It's just, it just reminds me of being in New York City and the people I grew up with, how confident we are when we speak about anything about their lives. And it just makes me laugh and smile because it's reminiscent of how I grew up. Thank you, sir. You are now part of the Silhouette Boys Club. It is people like you who move in the shadows to help people like me shine. Now, before you go, we love to get referrals for the show. Do you have any man that you think will come on this show Love to answer these questions and extend this conversation in manhood. Yeah, so uh, I want to make sure that you connect with uh, my dear friend Ron Thomas over in Dubai. Uh, he is in your neck of the world. Uh, I want to make sure that his voice is heard. And then I'm sure I got a couple of more folks that I'm, I'll probably send your way. You know what? I was thinking about that. Ron Thomas could be my first live on-site interview. Me and him could pick a nice location and sit down and turn the cameras on for real and really get the first interview outside of this virtual diaspora. We got connects all around the world, bro. I'm looking forward to talking to any man that wants to answer these questions from all around the world and really diversifying this conversation so we all can put these experiences in our tool belts and learn from them. Before you go, is there anything you'd like to say, anything you're doing that you want people to know about or express any feelings today? Now, I mean, you know, you can find me online, TorinEllis.com or across all of social media at Torin Ellis. That's it. For those listening, you can reach me at solutionsformen at gmail.com to be a guest on the show. 
also at Sheen One on all platforms. Let's continue this conversation on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Clubhouse, or in the street, if you see me. We end today's show with a quote from Dr. Miles Monroe. True success is not measured by how much you have done or accomplished. It's not compared to what others have done or accomplished. True success is what you have done compared to what you could have done. In other words, living to the maximum is competing with yourself. It's living up to your own standards and capabilities. Success is satisfying your own personal passion and purpose in pursuit of personal excellence. So question of the day, question of your life, are you maximizing your life? Mr. Torin Ellis, I thank you. Much blessings to you. This has been Solutions. <laughs>